A surprise production cut from OPEC over the weekend has already gotten our responses, not just from investors and traders, but Treasury secretaries and uh, big-time White House officials as well. Let's bring in Jeff Kleintop, big-time guy here. He's the chief global investment strategist, Charles Schwab. Morning, Jeff. Let's talk some crude for those who missed our conversation yesterday afternoon. Uh, what inflationary pressure does this apply to the world? Well, it's interesting because in the near term, obviously higher higher energy prices are going to push up headline inflation. So that makes the central bank's uh, uh, challenge more difficult. At the same time, we know that higher prices at the pump mean the consumers have to shift their consumption. And it actually has a deflationary impact on core inflation when we look out a little bit longer. So there's this balance between higher near-term headline, maybe lower longer-term um, uh, core inflation as we look out later this year. The interesting thing is, though, when we look at these past spikes in crude prices, they tend not to last very long. Usually when we see uh, cuts in production that lead to a brief spike, it's because demand is fairly weak. And what we see is that those gains tend to fade over the next 20 days or so. It looks to me like, you know, oil's still up a little bit, a little residual bounce here today, but we're not seeing much of a much of a follow through. And I note that, you know, looking over in Europe, energy, the worst performing group of stocks today. So, you know, I, I guess, when we, when we see these types of moves, we quickly extrapolate that oil prices are going to be soaring higher and there's going to be big inflationary impact. But in fact, maybe we actually see that this just maybe put a floor under prices rather than really sustains them at a higher level. Got it. Okay. And uh, right now, yeah, the floor maybe just kind of, you know, moves a little bit here uh, as we kind of got that energy freak out alongside the bank uh, panic. And now we return basically to levels from before that. So uh, I like the concept of the floor. Uh, Jeff, uh, a few other things that are on your mind. Uh, let's talk uh, hikes both here compared to the rest of the world, central banks um, right now and their outlook. What stands out to you? We've spent so much time here talking about how the Fed's kind of expected to drop back a little bit compared to some of the global peers. There's also this kind of lingering uh, potential of surprise in the Bank of Japan. I mean, what's the highlight for you right now? Well, you know, we're, we're starting to see a number of the central banks finally begin to pause. The Reserve Bank of Australia overnight uh, decided not to hike interest rates. There was a little bit of a chance that they might have continued with one more rate hike, but they chose not to following the Bank of Canada. So we're starting to see some of these major banks go on, let's call it spring break because, from rate hikes, because we can't be sure they're done. They're not sure they're done, uh, but they're they're thinking that they're going to take a break here as we move through these months, just given the backdrop, what we saw with oil, what we saw with uh, with the banking issues they want to take a little bit of a pause here after they've moved so far so quickly that said the european central bank is still on a path towards another rate hike and we do know that the bank of japan is planning some change to their yield curve control this is how they're keeping long-term interest rates essentially pinned to zero they might shift that a little bit but that may not come till later this summer uh, and i think they're actually looking at what they've done and keeping rates very low uh, as a positive for their banking system remain remember there's no real pressure here for banks in japan to raise uh, or, or to see interest rates rise or to raise deposit rates which would increase their costs to match what's going on with the uh, japanese bond yields because japanese bond yields still pinned to zero so they're actually thinking they maybe they were a little smart here and they might wait a little bit longer to make those adjustments so i think the world is in this period of saying let's take a little bit of a break see what the fallout as has been from this move and I know real quickly here, PPI, 
in Germany, we just got it this morning, or in Europe overall, down to about 13%. That's still very high, but it was 40% in August of last year. It's actually been coming down faster than it went up. So I think it makes sense here for central banks to take a little bit of a pause. Okay. Uh, now, uh, what about when we think about China, which has been in a totally kind of separate world of its own, lockdown measures lasting much longer than everywhere else, um, liquidity coming in from the central bank and uh, the government as opposed to coming out. But now their expectations for growth are going vertical as they reopen. Does that change uh, what role they play uh, uh, from a liquidity standpoint? Yeah, it's interesting. So there has been almost no inflation in China because growth had been so uh, so lackluster. But you can see here in the economist consensus forecast for economic growth, this isn't annualized for, for uh, China. Just multiply that by four if you want to see what the number that actually be printed. But this is sort of the, the, uh, <clears throat> the quarterly number here for Q1, how quickly and powerfully it's moved higher. So they are seeing a resumption in growth. And I wouldn't be surprised if some inflation doesn't follow along with that. But they might not need to react to it until later this year, maybe much later in the second half. So I'd expect to continue to see fairly stimulative policy in China. They're not worried about inflation in the rest of the world. They don't have very little of it there. They want to continue to foster this growth environment. So uh, they recently cut reserve requirements at banks. They haven't yet cut policy rates, uh, but they've kept them fairly stable. And the 10-year in China has been flat as a table for, for years now as, as it soared everywhere else around the world. So they're kind of benefiting from a number of things that, uh, that the rest of the world is dealing with, but they may have their own inflation challenges later this year if they continue on this path. Okay. Uh, Jeff, um, thinking about uh, how uh, uh, the banks around the world fared during our own scare here, uh, you looked at that too in your recent note, thinking about financials uh, around the world. What did we find out? Where were the limits of the contagion? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So while all major regions posted some pretty good gains during March, it was a pretty volatile month. But Asia was an oasis of relative calm amid all the stress. There were really no signs of bank stress in Japan. Asia's biggest developed economy has a pretty strong and stable deposit base made up largely of households, which kind of implies low bank run risk. And despite two decades of zero interest rates, Japan's population still holds more than half of its savings in bank deposits. And since SVB's implosion here in the U.S., there's been no noticeable increase in Japanese interbank funding costs. And uh, Japan's yield curve is still upward sloping. So if you take a look here, what we see is uh, a, a, an environment where you've got uh, Japanese banks fell 3% during the risk-off mood in March, where we saw double-digit declines in financials and the rest of Europe. So uh, Asia has been a relative oasis of calm here amid some of the turmoil we've seen in markets lately. Okay, so a little bit of calm there, but uh, I guess uh, from a uh, kind of global sentiment perspective, things generally still have cooled off as a result of some of uh, the recent occurrences. I know uh, you're looking at that as kind of a, a reliable tell sometimes and maybe when uh, we're on extremes. Walk me through what you see there. 
So, you know, I, I think that when we take a look at investors' uh, behavior, I think it's informative, right? So we've seen a lot of, obviously, events here in the last month from uh, lingering rate hikes and, and bank crises. But it's interesting to see what happens, uh, what's happened to the markets, right? We've seen actually a pretty good rally here. Uh, in fact, the first quarter was actually pretty good. And this tends to happen when investors are positioned very pessimistically. And you know that may mean the market's primed for a rebound. In fact, sentiment in, in this chart here, which you can see uh, in this uh, in this um, uh, uh, chart, you've got this blue line here showing sort of uh, what happens here when you get this much bearishness in the market. We tend to see a 25% gain over the next 12 months. It's really interesting. This is a, a measure of sentiment based on actual positioning of global investors. So, you know, are they buying, selling, buying or selling equities versus what they're telling a survey? And it's pretty interesting. So despite the, the turmoil, the headwinds, what we know about investors is that when they are positioned for, for a fall in the market, we tend to see the opposite. And that's been really interesting. I think it explains one of the, one of the maybe surprises that markets have rallied back here so much in the face of the additional challenges, the recession, the rate hikes, uh, everything else. When we talk about behavior, we know investors have been moving money into bonds and out of stocks, but we've actually seen inflows in international stocks since mid-February, which is an encouraging sign, maybe supporting international outperformance. Okay, and uh, on that scale there, the uh, sentiment was inverted, so the, the line going higher shows the sentiment has come down quite a bit. Uh, and uh, that could be sort of a, a contrarian uh, indicator here. Good stuff. Uh, love the charts. Uh, much appreciated, Mr. Kleintop. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great to see you, Oliver. You got it. Okay, a good comprehensive look at the major events driving markets around the world. Jeff's chief global investment strategist, Charles Schwab.